There's a spiritual war that's going on for our communities. It's a war between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And God wants to equip us to be His occupying force in our communities. Join in today to learn more. The Great Commission makes the statement, if they drink anything deadly, it will no means hurt them. That's in Mark 16, 18. But what does this verse really mean? Well, we've titled this episode, Stranger Things, and we're going to talk about that today. We do want to make you aware of an upcoming class that we have. You can take it on Zoom live with us, and we will mentor you in city transformation through prayer. It starts on October 4th, runs through November 29th. There's five sessions. You can find out more at our website, www.watchmenarise.com. Remember, we're raising up a company of watchmen, not just one. So you might ask us today, you know, we're using this whole title called Stranger Things. And some of you probably watched that series on TV. And what was interesting to us is Michael Heiser, he mentioned it and talked about watching it from the standpoint of really getting a revelation of what we're calling Stranger Things or Deadly Things. Well, let's talk about this passage because we often have read drink anything deadly and a lot of people think this means if you accidentally drink anything that's poison, it shouldn't hurt you. But the word poison actually is not in the original language, even though some translations add it in the the message. And because of this misunderstanding of this passage, most people never touch it. They're like, forget it. We're not going to even look at what that means. There is a solution strategy to this, though. If we look at who Jesus is speaking to in this passage, we we need to look at what their biblical frame of reference is for its interpretation. What are these deadly things that he is talking about? What Jesus was saying is that they will overcome corruption and poverty. So we're going to focus on that, which has to do with corruption and, and poverty. And so we're going to define what we're calling stranger things. We're going to give some definition to it. The first passage we're going to go to is in Deuteronomy 32. This whole particular chapter is called the Song of Moses. So I'm going to start with verse 31. And as I read it, what's going on here is a contrast. And in this first part of it, it says, Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. So, indeed, their lowercase rock is not like our capital rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. For their vine is from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison, their clusters bitter. Their wine is the venom of serpents and the deadly poison of cobras. So in this contrast of, of looking at what they, their little rock, then all of a sudden it gives these characteristics of that. One of those is beginning to define then God's enemies and what do God's enemies look like. And again, it brings it forth that it's talking about evil men. Another part that's interesting here, because we're talking about corruption that has to do with business, is everything in these particular verses is talking about agriculture, which is a business. So corruption, going back to verse 5 in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy, it's addressed here. It says, they have acted corruptly toward him. They are not his children because of their defect, but are a perverse and crooked generation. And that defect in that passage actually means their moral stain. 
if we look at corruption and what Moses is addressing here is it's defined as dishonest or fraudulent conduct by those in power, typically involving bribery, dishonesty, unscrupulousness, deceit, double dealing, fraud. You get the picture. Yeah. As we've been bringing you through these episodes, one of the things we've talked about is moral character. What's caused this moral stain is that there's no moral compass in their life. They've completely gone another direction. Okay, so one of the things that we see now that are indeed stranger things are that which has to do with the enemies of God. They have no moral compass. Therefore, they're, they're moving in what we're calling corruption. It affects everything that has to do with uh, the sphere of business. Now we're going to look at um, another part of this same passage, and you'll see an, another um, <clears throat> strange thing, a deadly thing, and that is idolatry. And here's what he says here in verse 15. But Israel grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then you forsook God who made him and scorned the capital rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations that provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to lowercase gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately, whom your fathers did not dread. You neglected the capital rock who begot you and forgot the God who gave you birth. So once again, a contrast of those, all of a sudden they found themselves caught up in idolatry, idolatry that had been going on for a long time. And so they find themselves getting caught up in that. They had even gone to the place where they were offering sacrifices to demons. Two of the deadly things that we see here in the Song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32 are corruption and idolatry. Another one that's addressed is mammon. And let's talk about a definition of mammon. It's wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship or devotion. It was taken by medieval writers as the name of the devil of covetousness. In 1 Timothy 6, 9-10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil. And corruption, it's often a stronghold in nations where a love of money is uh, pervasive. Believers in the marketplace can easily become ensnared with the mammon of unrighteousness. We see this when people enter into business associations or they go into secret societies to benefit them for the sake of making more money and they go into it for the purpose of having money for their families and they get into these corrupt systems. You know, think about mob rule. We've talked about that in some of our other episodes that's really driven by a spirit of mammon that's there. So believers in the marketplace, they can easily become ensnared with the mammon of unrighteousness. It's not hard for them to do. So again, what we're talking about is people that go into this realm that has to do with business. And it is a place where there's profit, where, where there is money involved. And we're saying they go in there and they walk into the midst of those strange things, those deadly things. And if they're not careful, they can get pulled right into it. I mean, literally, these kinds of deadly things, it's like a vacuum pulling. I mean, it's just pulling people into it. 
So what we want to do now is make a turn and look at the scriptures which show us God's view of labor and work and so that we don't get caught up in this whole thing of corruption, idolatry, and mammon. We're going to talk about even the power to create wealth. So if we go back and we look at Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 with Adam, he says, Then the Lord God took the man put him into the Garden of Eden to what? To cultivate it and keep it. This word literally means when you look it up and you look at it in the Strong's, this that which has to do with cultivate goes along with like stewardship, but it's coming out of a place of worship. So we, so many times we find ourselves separating work and worship where what's being said here is, no, the place of your work is the place of worship. And we know as Scripture says, that everything that you do, do as unto the Lord. So, and keep it means that then take the rightful place of ownership and handle it properly. So God gave men work to do, but it wasn't the kind of work that we recognize after the fall. It was a work that literally would bring joy. It was a work that was in alignment with God, so there wasn't this blood, sweat, and tears, and anxiety. No, because of its partnership with God, then it brought life to Adam and Eve, not death. So Adam's job then was to steward the land, take care of it, and enjoy it, because it was to bring absolute prosperity to him. It was supposed to be an abundance for him. Let's talk about key practices for every worker, since we were created to work. Labor and trade and business, these are important for us to understand. It's important for us to save and to give. We were created to enjoy the fruit of our labor. You know, if you meet somebody who's a gardener and they love gardening and they have the fruit of their labor, I'm thinking about our friend who's been growing tomatoes and various vegetables in her garden. And we went over and had dinner with her and her husband a few weeks ago. And the joy that they had in the bounty of their table because it came from their garden, they were enjoying the fruit of their labor. So I'll read a passage of scripture to you. This is Ecclesiastes. It's chapter 3, verse 12. It says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and to do good in one's lifetime. Moreover, that every man who eats and drinks sees good in all his labor, it is the gift of God. And that's what you were talking about with her. Yeah. You recognize that, yes, she was doing something with her hands, but it wasn't a forced thing. It was something that was bringing life to her, and she was able to enjoy it. I read another passage, this is out of Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. It says, Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth... He has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. So once again, it's hard for people that are caught up in the systems of the world 
to see this because they're having to do it. In other words, no, both of us have to work because we got to put food on the table. And so they're getting themselves called up into this whole worldly structure and lose the very value of what God had in mind, which has to do with, with labor, with work. Well, you look at the creation. God created. He worked for six days. He created everything. And then when he sat back in, on the seventh day, he was able to sit back and enjoy the fruit of his labor. He looked back at his creation and said, wow, look at this. I'm going to enjoy that which I started here. So he wants that for us as well. Yes. Now, there's another concept. When we work and we enjoy the fruit of our labor and are able to share that fruit with others, we take a personal responsibility and ownership of what we're doing. And I'm going to give you a little story that happened with the pilgrims. And William Bradford wrote this. He was the governor of Plymouth. He wrote this in his journals about how they decided to have communal farming there in Plymouth. Everybody had one plot of land. Everybody was supposed to go in and take care of this piece of land and grow corn, grow whatever they were growing there in Massachusetts during that time. And what they found is when the communal garden was needing to be tended to, it really wasn't taken care of very well because it really belonged to no one. It was just this, hey, some of us will take care of it, some of us won't. So he decided, hey, everybody, you have a plot of land that you were to cultivate steward and when they did that all of a sudden there was more produce in the land they were able to eat of the bounty of their table there was a personal joy in receiving the fruit of their labor and so that kind of even goes along with what we call individual enterprise in today's day and age and that's where each man tends his field and eats of his own labor it's our right to own land and to control what our labor produces as well so that's important for us to see and understand because once again, I know we're bringing these things into the day that we're living in. And what we're looking at, whether you're talking about welfare, unemployment, socialism, those things, they're all that which would drive us away from this. Mm -hmm. So we wouldn't own property. The government would own the property and then they would tell us what to do. And honestly, if you want to, it's taken us back to the whole structure of Pharaoh and how that worked. What does God really have to say about business? We've mentioned a couple of terms, labor and trade, and those things are important to God. First of all, we know that Jesus had experience as a carpenter. Only one of Jesus's miracles took place outside of the workplace. So Jesus was very much involved in what we call marketplace. He was out there where the people were. And even the parables that he used, he was bringing those parables that had to do with business and versus corruption in business. He met those things head on. So God reveals himself through his work. We see this in, in Romans chapter one. It says, hey, every man is without excuse because God has shown himself even in the creation of, of what he made. Another passage in Deuteronomy is Deuteronomy 8.18. And it says that God gives us power to gain wealth. What does it mean by power? It means God gives us strength. He gives us ability. He gives us force. He gives us might to be able to do that. And then when he says gain wealth, the word gain means literally to make wealth, to execute wealth, even to keep wealth. What is wealth? Wealth then is well-being of happiness 
Another thing in the Strong's that it brings out is, is it even is like an army. So in other words, when we talk about executing, we're talking about that God then gives us the power like an enforcement, an army to be able to then begin to build that wealth. Wealth can help one to gain riches, but never vice versa. We'll read that again. Wealth can help one to gain riches, but never vice versa. Wealth is associated with productivity, entrepreneurship, and the skills that spiritual knowledge and character developed by obeying God ways of approaching resource management. And that's from our friend Mark Belial. We hope we're beginning to build a picture for you where you can see that work in terms of from the place of being aligned with God is very good. And it's supposed to then be part of what God puts in our hands so that wealth comes to us. And so that we find ourselves enjoying the produce of what that labor is then bringing. We're going to go into another part here, and that's using your talents. And in Luke 19, 11 to 17, it talks about wealth creation and increase. Luke 19, 11 to 17. And while they were listening to these things, he went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem. And they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then returned. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him. They sent a delegation after him saying, "Uh, we do not want this man to reign over us. And it came about when he returned after receiving the kingdom He ordered that these slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing, be in authority over ten cities. So what we see going on here in this passage is that God comes and puts in our hand, just like he did with Adam, he put in Adam's hands, and he said to Adam, I I want you to cultivate it, I want you to keep it. Now Jesus has given us a parable with the same concept that here I come and I give this to you, and what I want you to do then is I want you to do business with it. I, I want you to occupy and do business until I come back. And so he comes back. We see the attitude of the different people, even when the master gives them these talents or minas. And so the first one he goes to, that man had done well with it. He had occupied, he did business, and he did it in a way that it brought profit. And in this case, it was righteous profit. It wasn't from corruption. It wasn't from idolatry. It wasn't from those structures. No, he did it properly. In that case, he, he took his place of occupation from the place that God has put it in his hand. And then God turns around and says, well, guess what? Because you did well with your business, the occupation that you have, 
really, if you want to look at it from where we started, it was carrying worship. It was carrying the heart of God in it. Then God turns around and says, hey, man, I'm going to give you 10 cities. There's a lot of things at work in this passage. There's not just the workers that were working in the field, but that landowner, he had private property. He had a workforce that he was looking over and he gave him assignments to do. And I think so often we look at this passage and we focus so much on who got 10 cities, you know, who got five, who got nothing. And we go, oh, those poor people. And we look at the labor part of it, but we forget that there's a landowner as well. So there's a whole principle of enterprise that's going on here that we need to look at as well. I mean, you're familiar with this passage because you know one guy, he doesn't do anything with it. And so you see again the contrast. And like you said, which is very interesting, a lot of people would say, well, if I had more, I would have done something with it. That's not the concept, because if God's the one that gives you the power to gain wealth, then it's not how much you've got, but what does he put in your hand? And it's the same concept we talked about before, even with Moses. What does he put in your hand, Moses? And in that case, it was a staff that he'd put in his hand, and then God told him what to do with it. Mm -hmm. There's so much of that that we see in our society today, because there's comparison. Well, if I had what they had, then I would do something with it. And it puts you in that whole mentality of entitlement. And you see that here. The one that didn't have that place of entitlement, then he did something with it, and he worked with it, and it brought him more. You know, we can compare the one talent dude in Luke 19, 20 to 23 to the phrase that was said in Matthew 25, 21 to 23, where it says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have such a contrast here of, hey, you buried it, did nothing, and then well done. We sure do want to hear that well done. The principles of why that one talent dude didn't get a reward for anything, we can look at 2 Thessalonians 3.10. It says, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. So God rewards productivity and punishes lack of productivity. In today's world, this doesn't seem politically correct. However, it's just. Proverbs 19.15 says, laziness casts one into a deep sleep and an idle person will suffer hunger. Proverbs 21.25 says, The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. So once again, we're living in a time where the contrast of what we're talking about today is right in our face. I mean, we've been talking about the whole thing of entitlement for uh, over a decade, but now it is so visible. And I know this can be this strong language coming from Scripture, but there's a reason why God says, hey, if, if you won't work, you don't eat. Right. And so we see this contrast, and we realize sometimes, like we've already said, people get something in their hand. Well, if fear's there, it'll shut them down. They won't want to even take a risk to cause that thing to multiply. But God says, no, trust me in it. Watch what I will do with what I've given you to then bring increase to it today. Deadly things, it has nothing to do with a poisonous drink. They're deadly things that we encounter in our culture every day. We need to be aware of those things, and we need to become a part of the solution. So the question that we're going to leave you with today is, are you willing to partner with God to clean it all out? Become an example. Become one who doesn't get caught up in what everybody else is caught up. I mean, it's like you're going to have to swim against the current. 
because the current out there is going a totally different direction. Are you willing to say, hey, I'm going to trust God? It may be difficult, but okay, God's given me the strength to do it. And if that means I've got to run contrary to the current, I'm going to run contrary to the current. And you're going to see it. We're going to see it play out. Yes, we are, because those then that haven't worked, you'd say, but it looks like they've done better than I've done. And we could say the same thing. It's been a crazy year. Well, look, look at what they're getting, and they're doing nothing. But God sees it all. And if you go back to what God said in Deuteronomy, you can bet he's going to say, no, you're going after the little rock and pulling away from the big rock. So we encourage you today to be filled with confidence, to be filled with faith, to be filled with hope, and be willing to move against all the currents that are going the wrong direction. So thank you for joining us today. And we want to thank our partners of Watchmen Arise International who have made this podcast possible. If you'd like to give into further episodes of Occupying Force, you can go to our website at www.watchmenarise.com to give. Thanks for joining us.